Welcome to Electric Profit Makers, your home for 24-7 sports and politics talk. My name is Kid Midas, the original wave rider, the silver-tongued devil with a touch of gold. Joined on the line by the one and only Long John Silver. Hey, David. It is a great day here in the Tar Heel State. It was a huge weekend for North Carolina sports activities. John, why don't you bring us up to date on what has transpired since last we spoke? Well, we had a huge game between UNC and Duke in basketball. It was uh, the final regular season game of the year between the two. And it was also the final home game for Duke's legendary Mike Shashevsky. Mike Shashevsky, who's that? Mike Shashevsky is one of the greatest coaches of all time in NCAA college basketball. He has five national championships. Only John Wooden has more national championships. Uh, Coach K has more wins than anybody ever in college basketball. The winningest coach ever, one of the highest win percentages of all time in the Atlantic Coast Conference. This guy is a legend. And Coach K announced at the beginning of this season, he said, I am retiring. Not right now. I'm retiring at the end of this season, but I'd just like everyone to know ahead of time that I am going to be retiring. So just do with that what you want. Let me just suck up all this oxygen all year long. Approach me on bended knee with tributes and garlands for my victory. I'm Mike Krzyzewski. You've never seen anyone like me. And that is exactly what it's been. Every place he's gone, they've had little halftime ceremonies and presented him with little gifts. And ESPN has eaten it up. The local media has eaten it up. They've had all these articles about how amazing and great he is. And yeah, he is a a very accomplished coach. But this is not generally how coaches retire. And Coach K set this up. He had a plan. He said, I've got all these great players coming in. I'm going to have one last shot at a national championship, and I am going to do this my way. And the season's gone pretty well for them. They have won a lot of games. Uh, They're ranked number four in the country. They destroyed UNC in Chapel Hill a few weeks ago. And on the flip side, Carolina has a brand new head coach, Never been a coach, a head coach anywhere on any level. And, uh, you know, UNC has struggled. It's an unranked. Uh, just a few weeks ago, it was not even sure if, if UNC would make the NCAA tournament. So the stakes for Saturday's game could not be higher. We have Mike Krzyzewski's last home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, home, of course, of the Cameron Crazies, the extremely loud and vociferous, boisterous Duke students. Mm-hmm. And they were playing their hated uh, rival, UNC, home court advantage. Before we announce who won the game, for those who don't know, what was conventional wisdom going into the game, John? Well, conventional wisdom is you've got a, a team playing home court advantage. They're they're ranked much higher. And uh, the two teams have already faced off earlier this year. Duke had nearly a 30-point lead in the first half against Carolina a few weeks ago in Chapel Hill. Ended up winning the game by 20, but had all their you know, lower-level subs in the game at the end. It was just humiliating for Carolina. So now, a few weeks later, Duke's playing at home. So you would at least think, that they would 
probably win by another 20 or 30 points. Uh, Vegas, the odds makers, had Duke favored by about 12 and a half points. And I, I looked at that and said, that's ridiculous. Carolina is not prepared for this game. They are going to lose by more than 12 and a half points to Duke because it's such a huge event. And, you know, you, even the re- Duke is a better team. And, and even if Duke wasn't a better team, the refs are going to be under pressure to call it a certain way. This is a legend going out in his last home game ever. This is why he set it up this way. He knew Carolina wasn't going to be great this year. So that's the conventional wisdom. Now, what did Kid Midas, the original Wave Rider, say was going to happen? Okay, Kid 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 Midas um, recklessly, in my opinion, said that that UNC would win the game by three points. By three points. Announced that publicly on the private election profit makers discord mm-hmm. patreon.com slash election profit makers and we sat down and we started watching this game and you and mike and everybody you guys were all so bummed we're gonna get killed mike that's what you kept saying we're gonna get killed and i said no we're gonna win by three points and no one believed me and now before we announce what actually happened for those who don't know yet because the news hasn't traveled beyond north carolina tell me the mood that you had for that first opening segment of that game uh just dismay basically you know you've got to watch this this coach that we've hated he's been there for 42 years we've got to watch this celebration and we've got to watch him kick our butts but the worst part about it was that all of these duke players all these hated duke players christian leitner and uh Grayson Allen and JJ Redick and Steve Wojciechowski, all of these Duke players are in attendance to watch us as a sacrificial lamb to Coach K in his final home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, the greatest home court advantage that exists in college basketball. And don't forget, along with Jerry Seinfeld wearing a Duke sweatshirt. That's right. Jerry Seinfeld was there wearing a Duke sweatshirt. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, uh, Tim Cook from Apple was there. It was a tough ticket. It's a it's a small venue. It's loud. It, there's no louder place in college basketball because of how small it is. Just the screaming and the yelling, and the students are right on top of the court. It's, a, it's an extremely difficult environment to play in. And this particular night was the most amped it has ever been because this is Coach K's last game of all time. Students had camped out for, what, six weeks to get tickets? Yes. Yes. And tickets were going for how much by the end? The average price was over $5,000, but some tickets were going in the tens of thousands, and one particular ticket sold for $250,000. Oh, boy. You, everyone can be forgiven if you're a Tar Heel fan for being despondent about what was going to happen that night. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even want to watch it. But one lone voice. Yeah, one lone voice. A wise man with long, flowing gray hair. Yeah, he kind of yeah. looks like a wizard, and maybe, maybe John he is a wizard, for he spoke out in dissent. A brave voice spoke truth to power. 
while everyone else was rending their garments and tearing their hair and saying, Duke's going to win by 14, Duke's going to win by 10, one lone brave voice silently, very quietly, but with an unearthly confidence kept saying, UNC will win this game. Mark my words, young non-wizards, UNC shall win this game by three points. By three points shall UNC win this game. Now keep in mind that David can't name a single player on the UNC team or the Duke team. No, I have no interest in college basketball whatsoever. But I knew, Mm -hmm. or should I say this wise man, Mm -hmm. this wise wizard knew and said, be not afraid. Mm -hmm. And now, John, Mm -hmm. many villagers and townsfolk scoffed at this this brave lone voice. This -hmm. happens throughout history. We see it over and over again. He was dismissed as ignorant as hopelessly optimistic, as deranged. I think some people even said he was crazy. Mm -hmm. As everyone else was jumping up and down with frustration, this lone man kept speaking his truth. UNC will win this game. And John, tell us now, was this lone, wise, brave man correct in his prediction? It's... Not really, no. Um, yes, he was. UNC won by 13 points. What are oh, you talking yeah, about? Oh, yeah, yeah. The wise wizard get... was totally vindicated. Yeah, you were right. The wise wizard was me. Yes, the okay, wise if wizard can't, was... If, if, if people have, can't figure out what's going on, that was me. I was the wise wizard. I said UNC would win, and they won. It was the biggest upset ever. It was a catastrophic final act for Mike Krzyzewski, this attention hog. It was total vindication. I've never seen John Kimball jump up and down and scream more loudly than he did during the final 10 minutes of that game. Well, it was a miracle. It, 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 it was this 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 particular game was it was actually the second largest upset in a Duke UNC rivalry in the last 30 years. It was incredible. And uh, that's for that game is forever. You know, Shashevsky set it up. He made his bed. He. He wanted it to be that way, and there was always a possibility that that could happen. John, there's an old saying. I think it comes from the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Pride goeth before the fall. I'm not exactly sure what it means now that I say it out loud, but I think it's very appropriate here. Pride goeth before the fall. I think that's what happened to Mike Krzyzewski. Mm -hmm. I don't know where pride goes before the fall, but it goes somewhere, and then you fall. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, fall and fail. Yeah, it was a total, total fail. So that's it. Mike Shashevsky. He lost his final home game to UNC by 13 points, as predicted more or less accurately by Kid Midas. But, John, that's not the only amazingly, that's not the only big North Carolina sports news that happened on Saturday. There was something else happening at the exact same time over in the Queen City, Charlotte, North Carolina. Yes. The Charlotte Football Club, Charlotte FC, the new member of Major League Soccer had their inaugural home opener at Bank of America Stadium in uptown slash downtown Charlotte. And it was the largest crowd to ever see an MLS game in the history of Major League Soccer. And it was actually the second uh highest attended soccer game this year anywhere in the world. That's, I could not believe that. And how many people were there? 75,000. Mamma mia. 
as the Italians say, Mamma Mia. And we flipped over we flipped over to that channel really briefly and we flipped it at the perfect time. Yes. That we flipped over and all of a sudden we saw an aerial shot of the Charlotte John skyline was with a stadium full of people. Life chanting Charlotte FC Charlotte FC huge fireworks displays fireworks shooting up above the stadium yeah highlighting the striking muscular skyline of downtown Charlotte even if there hadn't been a UNC Duke game this would have been one of the best nights of your life yeah seeing that skyline fully celebrated and represented on national television I know there's going to be more games like that in the future hopefully that's your North Carolina sports update wow holy smokes John, let's turn to our portfolios for a sports contest of a different kind, predictit.org. Mm-hmm. We both made some investments that were not discussed on last week's episode. Since last we spoke, Joe Biden, who is the president of the United States, gave a big speech. He called it the State of the Union speech. And something that we weren't sure was going to happen actually happened, which is Predictit brought back a couple word markets. They didn't bring back a lot of word markets. Mm-hmm. It was not the glory days of 2016, but there were a couple word markets, right, John? Explain to our listeners what the word markets are. It's basically how many times the the person giving the speech will say a certain word, or if they'll say a certain word. And in in this case, uh, it was how many times President Biden would say Putin or Russia in his speech. And there were a number of brackets. They started out, the the minimum bracket was three or fewer, and the maximum bracket was 11 or more. And the BMAX, the the last bracket, 11 or more, which before the speech even began, was trading around 60. So that was pretty expensive, you know, pays out at at, at a dollar. Uh, so trading around 60 cents for a share. I didn't want to pay that. I decided, you know what? Yeah, it's probably he's going to say 11 or more, but I went in and bought uh, seven, eight, and nine, those brackets for, you know, around 10 cents or something. But he said it a ton. I think he said Russia and Putin like 30 times. I don't remember now, but it was it, it wasn't even close. So you lost money. Yeah, I lost a little money. I lost, you know, $15. Did you watch the speech? I Yes. Yes, I watched it. Give me your 10-second review of the speech. You know, anytime Biden's speaking, I get uh, extremely nervous and uh I, I thought he did fine. I thought it was a serviceable speech. All right. Um Fair enough. Yeah, I didn't think it was great. I thought uh the Russia stuff was good, but it's just sort of it was a laundry list of things like a lot of State of the Union speeches are. And, and it sort of seemed like maybe the speech was written ahead of time and then they just sort of dropped in uh, the Russia democracy stuff and and kept all of the the original stuff when maybe they should have rewritten the entire speech. Here's my impression of a sta- of every State of the Union speech I've ever heard. goes like this. From Cincinnati to Orlando... Working class families are the backbone of America. When they succeed, we all succeed. That's why I'm proposing a $2.6 billion bill to supplement the child tax earned tax credit reduction in principal interest payments for your second home. I submit this bill and I want it to pass. And then half the people stand up and half the other people sit there with their arms crossed. 
Yeah. That's my impression of the State of the Union speech. Yeah. <laughs> they always say some statement and then they say, and that's why, like here, the, remember George W. Bush, that famous president? I can do a mm-hmm. really good George W. Bush impression. Mm-hmm. Be like this. From, <laughs> from, from Cincinnati to Orlando, freedom is really important to all of us and we all love it. Freedom to d- make our own in- decisions. That's why I'm proposing that we privatize Social Security and return freedom to the hands of Americans. Let me ask you a question. Was that one of the greatest impressions you've ever heard? Yeah. I didn't know that he was from Charleston for a second. Well, it's just fun to have fun, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's your investment. You lost money. I also lost money on an investment that went undiscussed on last week's episode, but I'm going to share it in the interest of full transparency. I don't always win money. Sometimes, yes, it's true. I lose money. There was a market about how many UN votes there would be to sanction Russia at the United Nations. And when I found this market, the leading bracket said 180 plus votes to sanction Russia. That was trading at 54 cents, far and away the most expensive bracket. And therefore, according to my logic, the safest bet. Can't believe I did this. I bought 100 shares. Oh, That's $54 worth of shares. Now, did I tell you not to do this? I, I honestly don't remember. You did tell me not to do this because okay. you don't like my you don't like my investment strategy of whatever's the most expensive has got to be the safest. Wisdom of the crowds, wisdom of the crowds. I go with the crowd. Right. Well, the number of UN votes sanctioning Russia because there were a lot of abstentions turned out to be 140 to 149. That was the bracket that won in any case. So I lost all my mo- I lost all my money on that. That's a big hit. It's a huge hit. Fifty four dollars. Yeah, for what the size of my. I mean, that's like, yeah, I couldn't really afford to do that. And it kind of made me a little sad. I mean, also, I just want everyone to sanction Russia because, you know, yeah, well, who doesn't want UN, to sanction Russia and does it. It's, you know, non-binding. It doesn't have any effect, really. So, yeah, I know. But wouldn't it change Putin's mind? Just like if like mm-hmm. someone's subpoenaed for January 6th and then it changes their mind and then they realize they've been all wrong. And then, yeah, I don't know. This whole world's fucked. I can't believe I lost that money. Talk about salt in your wounds. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> Yeah. So we had a good weekend for sports, but a bad weekend for our predicted investments. So I guess it all balances out, right? Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it all balances out and the rest of the world was fine. Yeah. The rest of the world was fine. Yeah. You know, we had said last week that by this time this week, although we were on a little bit of a high about the bravery of the Ukrainian defenses and the sorry state of the Russian military, that something horrible would have happened by this time this week. We'd be really bummed out about the invasion. And I guess we are bummed out, but it does also feel like we are still waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Whether it's Putin launching a nuclear missile at something or yeah. a, just I flattening kind of, Kiev or something. I mean, I know yeah. there's a pending humanitarian catastrophe, but I don't know. No, it's awful. This, 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 this week, yeah, earlier in the week, I went, you know too deep down the rabbit hole on some of these videos and yeah i mean uh, it, it, it's it's you know seeing civilians getting shot and killed is horrible um so yeah things did get dark this week in terms of that so i think we were right in in that sense but we were certainly um I really thought that Russia would make some big advances this week and that they haven't done anything. And I know we know everything about all the strategy and military stuff, but uh, 
apparently we didn't. I know all about the tires on Russian tanks now for some reason, and I'm an expert on that now. Mm-hmm. Apparently they're they're good. They have these junky ass tires, and that means the Russian military is a paper tiger. That's what I learned this Who week. Who would have thought tires are so important? You know, when they sell you tires, they always talk about, yeah, you just have four square inches of your your entire two-ton vehicle touching the ground. So they, they are kind of important. Um, and I guess they're important for a military too. They just can't, yeah, they the rainy season or they flooded the roadways and the- Ukraine is all about mud fun right now. The vehicles can't go off road and their tires are all falling apart. They're having mud fun with these Russians. Yeah, I mean, maybe- yeah, who knows? It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. We don't really have much to say about it. No, I mean, what can you say? There's a bunch of weapons going in there. They're going to level everything. I mean, the wor- the best case scenario is something happens and Putin gets overthrown or he comes to his senses and sues for some sort of agreement and just says, okay, I'll take Crimea and, uh, you know, Donbass. And, but I mean, at this point, Ukraine might be like, nah, nah. YOLO. We're pushing back all the way. We're going to win by 13. F you. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, this is is like uh, with about six minutes to go in the UNC Duke game where I suddenly realized when Carolina was up by five, I said, I don't think Carolina's going to win, but they could. Mm-hmm. And that's how I sort of feel about Ukraine now. I'm like, they might do this somehow. Those crazy kids, they might pull it off. That feeling? Yeah. That uh, pride goeth before the fall for for Putin. Bad Boys of the Week. Everybody get ready. Yeah, yeah. Everybody have fun. Party, party. It's Bad Boys of the Week. Let's get it poppin'. Bad Boys are number one. John, I have two nominees for you. Just two, head to head. Here we go. Okay. This is based on the State of the Union. Last week, I predicted there would be a lot of heckling of Biden at the State of the Union address. Yeah. Because the current GOP loves trampling on norms and being little stinkers. Sure enough, we did have some heckling. Man, you had such a you had such a good week. I'm kidding. Mine is the original wave rider. Yeah. You I'm are. a master predictor. I'm you a master are. at this prediction game. I am. I know. Now, I did say that he would be heckled at least five times, and I don't think that happened. No, he definitely was. He definitely was heckled five times. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. That many times? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Warren Boebert, they were both yelling throughout his speech. They were in fine fettle. Let's take it back. Let's take it back to this stand-up comedy analogy that we were talking about. They were like two women at a bachelorette party when you're at, when you're at some comedy club trying to do your your unique meta comedy stylings. Yeah. And there's a bachelorette party there and they're like, make a joke about Cox or something. Yeah. They're just not there for what you're selling. Biden was in the same situation. Lauren Boebert, she started and she just didn't stop. Biden famously lost a son to brain cancer, Bo Biden, and he started talking about burn pits and toxic stuff. And Lauren, Bo- Lauren Boebert started heckling him. People booed her immediately. And I have to say, though, that wasn't the best heckle from her. It started off kind of weak. She, she was talking about 13 American soldiers, but it was just kind of like felt like her heart wasn't in it. You know, she, she hadn't found her groove yet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of like 13 American soldiers. Like what? You have to come out strong. Like what's his name? Wilson did when he said, you lie yeah. at Obama. Yeah. That was a strong, powerful heckle. 
Now, maybe Bobert found her groove later in the night. I didn't watch the speech, so I don't know. Well, didn't she say, you put them there? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, you put that them was pretty there. strong. She, That's she was good. good. That's yeah. good. Although he was talking about his deceased son when she said that. Now, what well, the timing wasn't the best. That's true. Yeah, she might The timing was that. not the best. So I nominate her as bad boy of the week. Party, party. But there's another nominee I have, John. And I'm kind of leaning towards this nominee because I think this is a little more interesting. It's less overtly obnoxious, which is to say it's less the kind of paradigm of bad boy behavior, but it is kind of, it's more significant, certainly. And also, I do think there's an interesting subtext of bad boy shamelessness in it. Mark Meadows, John, Mm -hmm. former Western North Carolina representative. Yeah, he he was, he preceded uh, Madison Cawthorn. Former Trump chief of staff. This article in The New Yorker says that Mark Meadows has, com- I mean, they always say strongly suggests or implies that it could be the case that, no, Mark Meadows committed, he committed voter fraud. He registered his, he registered his domicile as a house he has literally never set foot in, in Scaly Mountain, North Carolina, some mobile home that his wife stayed at, right? Like for a weekend mm-hmm. or something? Yeah. And then he listed that as, as his permanent address where he votes from? And this dude has never been there. This is Mark Meadows, who was totally into the lie that the election was stolen and, and you know, tried to get the election overturned. I mean, obvious. I mean, ob- of course, he of course, he committed voter fraud like that. The, the, those types of ironies are not even interesting anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah I don't get it. I don't get why he, he I, I guess he did this because he thought he was maybe going to run for Senate in North Carolina. And then he just it just seems unnecessary. And uh, kind of sloppy. He's kind of dumb. Yeah, but on the other hand, he probably knows like, yeah, even if I get caught, nothing will happen, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the YOLO attitude these days among the GOP? Well, it's embarrassing, but oh, I guess that's the thing about the shamelessness. It's not embarrassing if you have no shame. Yeah, and I can't, so I kind of think that does make him a bad boy, right? Yeah, that's totally bad boy. He's just putting his thumb in the eye of everybody. Like, yeah, I'm going to register that I live at this mobile home that I've never seen. While I go around talking about voter fraud and stolen elections. The former chief of staff to President Trump lives in a, in a mobile home. Yeah. I hate that that guy is, represents North Carolina. He, I didn't he know represents this, North but, Carolina hard, bro. But here's the thing. Not from North Carolina. Yeah. I never got a North Carolina vibe from him. Yeah. But he's actually originally from Florida. He was born in France. What? Yeah. He was born in France. Hmm. Went to school in Florida. Yeah, he's a Floridian. Wound up in North Carolina. Yeah. Like a lot of Floridians, they they come up to the North Carolina mountains. I mean, you can't blame them. Those are some great mountains. Yeah. I don't know. Those are the only two bad boys I was really feeling this week. I feel like we can't make Putin a bad boy because he's not. It's it's There's something too sinister about him to be a bad boy. Wasn't there a guy that uh, in Texas that like had an affair with an ISIS bride? I could not follow that story. That was a bingo. That was a bingo card explosion. Yeah. A Republican in Texas who got outed for having an affair with a woman who used to be married to an ISIS fighter or something. And then somebody mm-hmm. else snitched on him. That's too much, even for me. And I love a good I love a good bingo card, but that was I I couldn't follow it. It felt like yeah. And apparently he was the sane one in this race, as someone pointed out. Yeah, that's the whole extra level. Like actually, no, he was the normal one. Okay, okay, normal party. Man, oh man, remember when Governor Walker disappeared in Argentina to go be with his lover or something, and then he said he was hiking the Appalachian Trail. No, was it? Was it? Who am I thinking was, of? 
It was 2009, I yeah, think. Yeah, it was the, the, the South Carolina governor, but was it, it wasn't Walker, was it? Mark? Warner. No, no. that's Virginia. Oh, God. Who am I thinking of? Everybody knows who I'm talking about, right? I'm just remembering other interesting stories from our... South Carolina governor... Do Governor Appalachian Trail. I know people are screaming the name right now. Just bear with us while we figure it out in real time. This is when podcasting is at its best. It's Mark. It's definitely Mark right. something. Mark Sanford. Mark Sanford. Yeah. His, his, his whereabouts were unknown. That's normal. I like to hear about politicians and their lovers. It's so, it feels like something out of um, Edith Wharton. Wasn't Edith Wharton always writing novels about people and their lovers? Like Probably. She, she, grabbed, the, she grabbed the tuffet and, and, and bade her lover sit upon it. And then she sat bestride him, her tongue fearless, hungering, as she probed no. every inch of her lover's mouth. Don't. She could not believe she was currently French kissing we- the governor-elect of the Virginia colony. Mm-hmm. Is this rapture? Is this ecstasy? Only time would tell. End chapter three. Chapter four, A Milkmaid's Diary. I know all about literature. I can imitate any great writer. I know. Executive decision. Mark Meadows, your bad boy of the week. Oh, okay. All right. F it. Yeah, yeah. All right, listener questions. Last week we had asked anyone who has a street number of 10 to write in and let us know, and we would use that information based on the total number of 10 addresses in the United States to extrapolate how many listeners we had, and we would then present this information to interested advertisers who wanted to know what our listener numbers were because we're not sure how to actually find out what our listener numbers were. So we were going to use math to reverse engineer our listener numbers. Well, I have to say, we only heard from one listener who had a 10 in their address, and they live in Australia. Thank you, Nick, for writing in from Mm -hmm. Australia. And we're happy to have you as a listener. But I think when it comes to extrapolating, we have to now say we, I guess, have no American listeners. Can that be true? I think it's probably not true, but I... I'm surprised that it's close to none. Oh, my God. How many listeners? Well, I don't want to talk about it. Let's just keep moving yeah. forward. We'll keep trying to do better. We'll keep yeah, trying anyone, to get more and if more If anyone listeners. in America is listening and has a address of 10, or how about has ever had an address of 10? Oh, my God. That's too pathetic. Then the advertisers are like, yeah, what's your listenership like? And it's like, well, we have three people who used to have an address of 10. Mm-hmm. We can't do that, John. We have to operate from a position of strength. Okay, all right. So somebody who has an address of 10. They'll say, how many listeners do you have? And we'll say, well, Nick from Australia has an address of 10. Do the math. <laughs> 200,000 listeners per second. Yeah. yeah. That's a good amount of listeners. Yeah. Numbers, man. Oh my God, these numbers won't stop. And I'm getting more and more confused the more I think about them, and I can't stand it. All right. So speaking of that in confusion and numbers, yeah, Marjorie. Oh, is that? No, this is something else. Well, this is, we said we were never going to talk about it, about birthday stuff because of that urban legend that if four people in a room, they all have the same birthday, which makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. But Marjorie wrote in with a very interesting take on birthdays. So I think we should read Marjorie's email. Okay. Marjorie writes, a couple of weeks back, during the discussion of the odds of having the same address prefix on two different letters, David mentioned his birthday, June 2nd, I believe. No, it's June 22nd, right? Yep. June 22nd, as being the best birthday. I felt I had to respond because although June 22nd is a perfectly fine day, it is not the best birthday. I know this because my kids have the best birthdays. 
Hmm. Huh. To my mind, the most important criterion, she writes, uh, for optimum birthday having is what will garner the most presence. In other words, what is the day that is furthest from that gift-giving juggernaut called Christmas? In this country, Christmas has become so all-encompassing that many non-Christians also celebrate it. So I speak here of those who do observe it. And it is well known that if you have your birthday close to Christmas, you get the shaft from a gift-receiving standpoint. Hmm. Logically, then, the best birthday would be the one that is furthest away from Christmas, so that friends and relatives have saved up enough cash and goodwill to spend it on you. So I give you my daughter and son, whose birthdays are June 25th and June 26th, respectively, albeit three years and one day apart, I can tell you that they rake it in on these days probably way more than they deserve. I'll save it for another discussion what it is like to have your birthday one day apart from your siblings, but that admittedly raises challenges of its own. Back to June 25th and 26th, the only problem with these dates as birthdays is that they are during the summer, so sometimes friends are away on vacation and can't come to your party. But because it is summer, you can always have a sleepover on your birthday, which kind of makes up for it. I have an open mind on this topic and am interested in opposing viewpoints, but I think it would be hard to convince me to change my perspective. P.S. I had dinner with David once at the Midwest Modern Language Association conference when you gave a terrific talk about pencil sharpening. That was a fun night and a great change of pace for an academic conference. Much to consider in this, in this letter from Marjorie. First of all, I do have fond memories of speaking at the Midwest Modern Language Association conference. I do love being invited to speak at academic conferences. It allows me to cosplay as a true blue professor, which is the great regret of my life that I didn't go get a doctorate in geniusology and become a professional professor who attended nonstop faculty parties every, every weekend, eating my cheese and brie, as I've often discussed. But that was a fun association, and I was glad to go there and talk about pencils. Now, let's Where move. was the MMLAC? Uh, Indianapolis, Columbus, uh, Cleveland, Chicago, St. Louis? I can't remember. I want to say St. Louis, but I don't think it was St. Louis. I mean, I've definitely done multiple events in St. Louis, and I do love St. Louis. I can't remember where it was. I'm sorry. All right. Let's move to Marjorie's theory about best birthday dates. Okay. Yep. So as we've established, my birthday is actually June 22nd. So it's the same. It's in the same neighborhood as Marjorie's kids. And I do have, when it comes to this halfway between your birthday and Christmas stuff, or your, you know, your birthday is six months away from Christmas. The only thing I can add to this discourse is very distinct memories of when we would travel to Manitowoc, Wisconsin to celebrate Christmas with my grandfather. We had often obviously arrive a few days before Christmas, and I do remember one morning in my Bapa's kitchen, he would wake up really early in the morning and play solitaire and watch Hogan's Heroes on the world's tiniest television, which sat on the kitchen table. I do remember one morning my mom explaining to me that it was exactly half a year until my birthday, which meant I was, whatever it was, like exactly eight and a half years old on this day, December 22nd. And that was a true mind blower for me when it comes to the nature of time and the nature of aging. So for me, yeah, the holiday megalopolis is great not only for gifts, but also because it marked the halfway point to my next birthday. And it is true. I did have a lot of lame birthdays because some of those summer birthdays, a lot of times those kids are not around to celebrate with you. 
So it's a mixed blessing. I don't know what the best birthday is. I would imagine I, the best. Huh? Oh, sorry. I know that th- this was addressed to you, but I, I have an opinion on this. Being a born on February 8th, I'm a little close to Christmas. My sister's birthday is August 18th. So she had one of those summer birthdays as well, which is an issue. I kind of think even though it is closer to, I feel like a September birthday might the be best. the best birthday. It's the best. Yeah. Cause it's the fall and the fall is the most exciting and everyone's back around because it's school. So everyone, and you're not thinking about Christmas yet. So in many ways yeah. it's further, it's nine months away Whoa, from the rather previous. Than, oh yeah. Christmas. Rather than three months away. You're right. Yeah. October. Oh. No, that's a different ball game. But the beginning of September. You're looking at a birthday that's like nine, three, nine, four, nine, five. That's a good birthday. I know it's hard to to justify in terms of like actual n- numbers from a math standpoint, but from a, a psychological, cultural, anthropological standpoint. Yes. If you have a birthday of like September 4th or September 5th, you are loving life. That's a good, solid birthday. Yeah, it's right at the beginning of school. School has started and people are already celebrating you. Oh, school has just started and people are already celebrating you. It gives you a boost of confidence to, to start your new academic year. Yeah. you prob- People who have a se- early September birthday probably get better grades than people who have a June yeah, birthday. Yeah, you're one of the oldest. Oh, there's that too. It probably has a whole school, what grade you're in type of thing that I don't even know about. All that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, all right. If anyone, we're done asking about if anyone lives with address number 10, we only got one response and that person doesn't even live in America. Now we want to hear from any listener who has a birthday of September 4th. That's the one we're picking. Those are the most popular, I believe, birthdays. Oh, then it'll be, then it won't be, um, it won't be purely random. But they're not, they're not much more popular. They're just a little more popular, except for September 11th. It's not popular anymore. Write us if you have a birthday of September 4th, and then we'll extrapolate from that how many listeners we have, and we'll use that information to give to our advertisers to set our advertising rates. How's that sound? Yeah, I like it. And let me also take this moment to uh, publicly apologize to my brother, because speaking of birthdays, I completely forgot his birthday last month. Unnamed brother, I apologize to you. I wish you many happy returns. All right, we got one more about numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm. The numbers. We're getting crushed by these numbers. Yeah, you you take this one. A Twitter user wrote us a two-part dispatch. And this is concerning last week's um last week's discussion based on the data that we received from listeners Mike and John, one of whom had access to all American street numbers, the most privileged information available. And the other was a member of the American Statistical Association of, of Fancy Pantses, and he was able to take the database of street numbers and create some some charts and bar graphs for our delectation to prove that having two two identical street numbers in a row is not a one in a trillion possibility. This is the follow-up from this third person. The street number analysis that listener John conducted ascertained the likelihood of any two numbers in your batch of addresses matching, not the likelihood of consecutive numbers matching. Now, when I read this, I started to feel that little swell of vindication. She continues, so David Reese's intuition is correct that the probability of two addresses in a row sharing a street number 
are much lower than a 50% chance for a batch of 2,000. Then she says, probably not as low as one in a trillion, though. Okay, putting that aside, I still think people don't understand how incredible what happened to me is. And I'm going to explain it for this one last time. And I don't care if you shut off the podcast in frustration or in a rage. I need you to understand what happened to me. Over the years, I have been sending out all these envelopes with stickers in them to new Patreon members who sign up at patreon.com slash election profit makers. And last month, because and I fill them out in order, right? I fill out the addresses and stuff the envelopes in the order in which these Patreon donors join our Patreon. And last month, we had two people join back to back and they had the same four digit street number. Does everyone finally understand what happened? Because it's right. I don't think Mike and John, I don't think I made that clear to Mike and John. It was back to back. We're not looking at them in an aggregate, in a pool of numbers and being like, oh my gosh, look, these two people have the same number. It was back to back. New Patreon members had the same four digit street number. I am subsequently so tired of talking about this and yet so fired up that no one can, no one understands what I'm trying to communicate. I feel, you know, once again, John, I feel like that wise man who was watching the football game with quiet contemplation and confidence on Saturday. Like, yeah, it was a basketball game. What did I say? You said football. Whatever. It's all the same to me. It's just balls and numbers, right? Yeah. It's just balls and numbers. Hey, that could be the name of our podcast. Balls and numbers, right? All right. We'll keep going. You're on a roll. I'm done. I just wish that someone would just admit that what happened was special. I just want someone to validate my story. Isn't that what we all want? Yeah. I don't need bar. I don't need charts and graphs from the president of the American statistics people. I just need someone to say, David, you're right. That was a really cool thing that happened. Two people in a row had identical four-digit street numbers. That only happens to really cool dudes like you, David. I just need someone to say that to me, and I'll let this go. We'll never have to talk about numbers again. All right. Numbers? What do I care about numbers? I'm a letters man. Yeah, someone can write in, contact at electionprofitmakers.com, and tell David And that. just say We'd that. Say, David, what happened to you was special. I validate you. I celebrate you. I see you. I acknowledge you. I hold space for you and your amazing thing that happened to you. It's a one in a trillion coincidence and it happened to a one in a trillion guy that's all i need that's all i need and yet week after week i have to bang my head against the desk trying to explain to people about these damn numbers and these fucking four digit addresses when all i want is for someone to say i'm one of the greatest dudes who's ever lived in human history that's all i need someone to say to me you know yeah it's not much to ask it's not much to ask at all especially because talk is cheap and no one believes anything they read anyway but if you write that, I will believe it. Oh, honey, will I believe it? Yeah. And if you get me a gift certificate to one of my favorite restaurants, oh, you right. know I'll believe that because food don't lie. Ball don't lie and food don't lie. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. right, John? Mm-hmm. Food. And yeah. if I open a spaghetti restaurant, it would be called Meatball Don't Lie. Okay. Get it? Spaghetti and meatballs? Oh, yeah. Meatball I have so much energy lie. right now because I just watched my parents. Full disclosure, the energy for this this week's episode has been a little weird because I'm visiting my parents and I'm staying with them in their retirement community. And I'm also recording this episode in their retirement community. And they've been in the next room eating lunch the whole time we've been talking. <laughs> but I just saw them leave and go on a walk. And now I just feel so unburdened and free because I get so self-conscious when I think anyone can overhear me doing a podcast, yeah. let alone my beloved parents. Yeah. So now it's like my energy. I know I'm like coursing with energy. I wish we could do the whole episode all over again. I really don't want to. Let's do it one more time. One more time. Second time's a charm. Okay. Anyway, I feel really good right now because my parents are not. And I don't have to be self-conscious about my parents listening to me talk about numbers and getting upset about addresses. I can just be free. Good stuff.
I didn't want, what are my parents doing? See, now I'm looking out the window. This is a little behind the scenes um, information for everybody to really paint a picture here. I'm looking out the window and I think I see my parents messing with some car that's not their car. It almost <laughs> kind of looks like my parents are trying to steal a car. Now that would be incredible. What if I was looking out the window and then I was just watching my parents kind of like idly. And then I saw one of them like smash a car window and then they got into a car and stole it and drove away. What would I do? I don't know. What would you do if you thought you saw your parents steal a car? Uh, yeah, I'd be in shock. I wouldn't do anything. Yeah, I, I agree. I would be. I would take a nap. I would immediately take an emergency psychological nap. You know, sometimes you hear some news or just see something. You're like, mm, time for a nap. <laughs> That's what I would do. I would take a. I would take a psychology nap. That's what I'm going to call them from now on. Okay. All right. Oh my God. All right. Anyway. All right. Thanks as always to everyone who writes in, and you can contact us at contact at electionprofitmakers.com. Oh, and David, congratulations on uh, the premiere of Dicktown. Oh, thank you, John. Yeah, Dicktown, Thursdays at 10 p.m. on FXX. I hope anyone who watched our season premiere last week enjoyed it. We got a lot of great episodes coming up. This week, friend of the podcast, Amy Mann, joins us as a hot air balloon pilot. Wow. We also have Paget Brewster, Janie Haddad Tompkins. We also have Cayman Kelly, a great voice actor, playing Farmer Rigsby. At the Pick Your Own Strawberry Patch. Mmm. Good stuff awaits. Thursdays at on FXX and Fridays on Hulu. Thank you, John. Thanks for watching the show. I it, thoroughly enjoyed it and could not stop laughing. I, I'm not sure I understood all the mysteries. I'm just not smart enough to get all that stuff. But the jokes were awesome. We just want to make people laugh and smile. That's all yeah. that matters in this Good world. Good sight gags. Just the... and Just... <laughs> just... <laughs> All right. What? Well, uh, yeah, people need to watch it. It's hilarious. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Dick Town. Dick Town. Election Profit Makers is an independent production. That's right. It's just the two of us doing this. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash election profit makers. I already told you how to write to us with questions or concerns or birthdays. It's contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And if you want to join us on predicted.org, investing and winning and losing money, you can get up to $20 in matching funds by going to predictit.org slash promo slash EPM20. And, of course, rate and review us everywhere. And I suppose that's it. My name's David. Goodbye. Yeah, bye. <laughs>